Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Two days until Thanksgiving, and this is going to be a big one for so many of us after the minimal celebrations we had at the height of the pandemic in 2020. But COVID is still with us. It's still a threat. We're going to talk today about how to be safe traveling or welcoming guests. We'll also talk with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib about the infrastructure bill that is finally law and the social spending bill that's still hanging in the balance. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. After months of stalled negotiations, there is a little movement in Washington. President Joe Biden's ambitious agenda finally got a couple of big victories recently in Congress. The biggest development was the final passage of Biden's trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure package. Soon, billions upon billions of dollars for traditional infrastructure projects like roads, bridges, and underground water infrastructure are coming here to Michigan. But still up in the air is what will happen to Biden's even bigger social spending bill, which would include significant investments to combat climate change, as well as guarantee paid leave and universal preschool. But that has been moving forward as well with a final vote in the House, and now it's up to the Senate to take it up, where Democrats Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona have been holding up negotiations for weeks. I think it's fair to say that the success, the potential success of the Biden administration really hinges on whether Democrats can hold together in the Senate and pass this legislation, which would really fundamentally change many aspects of American life. That's where we begin the conversation today with how we might expect things to turn out in Washington with regard to this massive, massive bill that would uh, invest in all kinds of things that we have underinvested in for decades. And here to talk about it all is someone who supports these measures, but who had to vote against the infrastructure package in the House for procedural reasons. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's 13th Congressional District. Congresswoman, welcome back to Detroit Today. No, thank you for having me. So I'm going to start here. I would love to have you explain your vote against the infrastructure package. As I said, there was a procedural question, uh, but I wonder also if you have questions or concerns about the content of these bills. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. It's a, it was a promise uh, that was made to move both bills together because much of some of the poison pills in the infrastructure bill that increased, um, you know, dirty air issues around uh, climate and uh, some of the other privatization and, and fossil fuel language uh, was combated in the Build Back Better. So I do want to talk about what I voted for. Uh, the most important vote that I had that evening was to move Build Back Better forward, which is really the heart of President Biden's agenda and what he ran on. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, a lot of folks focus so much on, is this going to hurt the Democrats? How about, will it hurt our neighbors? Will it hurt our country? I mean, I think must, many of us want what I lovingly call the people's infrastructure, the Build Back Better, which is really incredibly important transformative investments to our community. I mean, you know, Michigan lost more black homeownership than any other state in the country. And this, in the Build Back Better, we invest a hundred and over $150 billion in housing, and not just any housing. We're talking about down payment assistance in a way that, again, is much more accessible than we've ever seen in the past. Home repair dollars for so many of my seniors that are forced to leave their homes because it's not um, accessible anymore because of a disability, and so much more. And then, of course, you know, Wayne County 
hasn't met Clean Air Act standards in over 15 years. I mean, you talk about folks thinking, uh, you know, asking my frontline communities, Wayne County communities, asking them to choose between safe infrastructure and whether or not they are able to get clean air or child care or paid leave or all the all all these other quality of life issues. It's grossly unfair that that evening they decided to separate the plan, separate the bills from each other. Uh, and I think that's, you know, what is critically important to understand. Many of us said you cannot just do one. You have to do move them both together as you promised the American people. And as you promised many uh, folks like myself mm. who moved the infrastructure bill forward in the promise that we'd move bill back better together because we know the people that were pushing the fossil fuel investments in the infrastructure bill wanted to see this done without the really important people's infrastructure, you know, the the prescription drug negotiations, the um, important investment in really investing in our electric vehicles. Because you all know, I mean, the infrastructure bill only had charging stations. And Stephen, charging stations are not going to get these vehicles off the line at a union you know, facility, American-made facility, you know, cars off the line and into people's driveways or in mm. front of people's homes or in garages. It's the 12900 tax rebate credit mm. in the Build Back Better. So that's what I'm trying to really convey to people, how incredibly important it is to the people, to the American people, no party, but to the people. These are unbelievably important, massive investments, yes, but these are this is our money being invested in us. We never, never, never say massive or all these things when we build that, you know, when we bailed out the banks, when we bailed out um, even the big three. I mean, all the things that we've done to lift up corporations in our country, this is our first time to ever do the same kind of bold investment in people. So you said that you felt like you had to move these two things together, that it wouldn't work if you didn't do it that way. I, I, I completely understand that position, but we did get the infrastructure package passed, and now they are debating or going to debate in the Senate the passage of Build Back Better after the House has voted for it. So, are you are you skeptical still that Absolutely. this will happen? You don't think it will happen? Well, we 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 long we we had a long you know deal. I mean, this was a deal to pass both bills together, and the deal was broken, which makes Build Back Better uncertain. People know why. People knew that the leverage that we had was the infrastructure bill because the people that are holding up Build Back Better, the ones that are pushing back against negotiations of pharmaceutical industry, which I mean would be massive change of quality of life for people that are diabetic in our country and so much more. Uh, the folks that really want to combat climate, right? The, the, what you saw in infrastructure was $25 billion in fossil fuel investment. Again, I'm not saying it was, um, it, it obviously needed to move forward because there were some great measures in there mixed with the poison pills, but Build Back Better combated some of those poison pills in a way that I thought very much so at least touches people's lives in a positive way. So I've stayed consistent in that. And what I now see is that, you know, Build Back Better now uh, will go to the same Senate uh, that continued to water it down in the first place, taking out the pharmaceutical uh, negotiations, taking out paid leave. I mean, I have, I have Democratic colleagues questioning whether or not we need paid leave, even though it's overwhelmingly popular. Mm -hmm. uh, they reduced... Um, the $30 billion, because we need about $45 billion to about $60 billion to remove all lead service lines. You know, this talk that we move all lead service lines with $15 billion is, is inaccurate. All Everyone knows we need about 45 to $60 billion. And, of course, we know many of the investments is a start, but we, we can't mislead the American people. In understanding and Build Back Better, we had $30 billion. It's down now to $9 billion. So we know that there are folks in the Senate that lean towards corporations versus people. And that's why moving the infrastructure bill without moving Build Back Better um, in, a, in a way where we have the promises of the Senate moving forward, uh, I think jeopardizes the impact that Build Back Better can have. Because, again, we went from $6 trillion down to $3.5 down mm -hmm. to $1.7 that I really don't know. And every time the money, you know, gets dropped, and I want focus, uh, folks to focus on the fact that economists say this kind of investment actually does address the high cost of living, actually addresses 
of the issues regarding local economies that people are struggling. These are economists and treasurers of former presidents and everyone who said Build Back Better has a more positive impact on our economy um, than even the infrastructure bill. So so I, I want to talk just a little more about this tension between the progressive members of the Democratic caucus uh, in in the in the Congress and the people that you say uh, are characterized now as as leaning toward corporate interests. These are Democrats. Joe Manchin is a Democrat. Kirsten Sinema is a Democrat. They're very different Democrats from Rashida Tlaib or uh, AOC, but they are both part of the same party. And the voters they represent put them in office on the same party that that you guys have why why is it um uh, why is it illegitimate i guess for them to say that their democratic voters don't want these things as much or they don't want them to be as big as you and your voters do and that the why the way to to, to get something done is to compromise to figure out a way that you can get some of what you want and they can get some of what they want and then the country gets a bill. Why isn't that just the way things work? Yeah, go ahead. I know, and it's over, sometimes it's oversimplified, right? Look, these isms that are tagged on to so-called, you know, members and so forth is distracting because one thing that separates the folks that held the line versus those that move forward is many of us, including Cinema Mansion and others, and we don't, we, not Mansion, we don't take corporate PAC money. That, that's the biggest difference. So understand this, the infrastructure bill was written by the fossil fuel industry with these so-called bipartisan group of 10 or so forth. And for us, you know, we're coming to a district that doesn't have any time uh, in addressing air quality and so forth. So, you know, when I go to go to someone like Senator Manchin and others and say, look, roads don't fix, they don't cure cancer. Bridges don't fix childhood asthma. Making frontline communities choose between safe infrastructure and environmental protections is grossly unfair. But that's exactly what BIF did. So the gutting the National Environmental Protection Act, uh, the law that requires environmental impact studies for big projects, Stephen, you know, ones that end up in my district, not his, mine. Um, and BIF puts, you know, communities that bear the burden of fossil fuel infrastructure in harm's way even more. And so we, we need to understand that there are folks like myself that will go to the Build Back Better Coalition, and these are mm-hmm. the folks like Mothering Justice and We the People and uh, the People's Water Board and others that have been working on these issues that are made up of residents and people, where I think many of my other colleagues, and I call them corporate Dems, I mean, these are corporate Democrats that rely heavily on getting reelected, not by people, but by the money that's being invested, and some of it is dark money, and being invested in their states to get them reelected. Now, you know that I have the third poorest congressional district in the country. What's disappointing is West Virginia is one of the poorest states in the country. And so I'm, I'm always taken aback by how, you know, colleagues that can have communities that right now can't even, you know, they can't survive. Um, they're not even living check by check. They're literally getting in debt. Every, the more they work, the more they get in debt uh, because of child care costs, because of the other high cost of utilities and so much more. And so, Stephen, it's really hard to, to, to answer questions when, I, when I'm when i seeing this. Again, I'm a new member coming and this my, going on my third three and a half years now. And I'm looking at this and I can see that changes are being done to protect the corporations that are the people. And I think a lot of my colleagues hope and pray that folks at home will never find out about it. Hmm. I'm talking with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from right here in Detroit. She represents uh, Michigan's 13th Congressional District in Washington. We're talking about the passage of President Joe Biden's infrastructure package a few weeks ago and the debate over the Build Back Better social spending bill, which is still taking place in the Capitol. The House did manage to pass it this week, but uh, it faces a pretty tough hurdle in the Senate where some middle-of-the-road or even maybe conservative Democratic senators are kind of standing in the way and saying that uh, they're not quite sure uh, about that. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Are you excited or hopeful about the infrastructure bill? Uh, What do you 
think about this compromise that was made to pass that bill on its own and then to talk separately about the social spending plan. Do you think that's going to work? Or do you think that what we'll end up with is watered down versions of both bills that won't make the difference that they should in uh, our country? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to go to Peter in Detroit up first here. Uh, Peter, what's on your mind? Rashida, thanks so much for being a spokesperson and organizer for the people in your district and being a tribune for the people nationally in terms of what the real issues are out there. I'm wondering if you could speak to the pressure that you and all of us are going to be under in 2022 to tax back towards the middle and compromise for the midterm elections and how you think uh, advocating in the way you're advocating now for Build Back Better is going to help stake out territory for you and the squad to be able to hold firm on the avalanche that we're going to experience going into the midterm elections in terms of having to ally with corporate Democrats. Great yeah, question, have, Peter. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Rashida. Yeah, and I, I want folks to know, you know, there was so much uh, compromise already being done that uh, myself and many that they call us whatever labels they group us up together. You know, we we moved the infrastructure bill. They would have never been able to move it, move the rule to move that bill onto the House floor without our support. And we did it in a promise that they would move the bill back better, the people's infrastructure, the 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 human infrastructure that is needed. You know, and Democrats have put their faith in people who have, you know, repeatedly expressed a desire to cut the bill back better down or kill it altogether. And, you know, that is going to jeopardize the faith that folks have, the American people have in us. You know, we've compromised from down to $1.7 trillion. I mean, again, when I say that, it's not the dollar amount, y'all. It's, it's the fact that instead of, you know, this many drugs that we're going to negotiate, it's down now to, to only a handful, right? Or uh, now even paid leave has um, been, changed in a way that it doesn't encompass uh, a lot. It actually leaves a lot of my folks out. And, and for me, though, it's a pathway, right? It's a pathway to get these done uh, and, and changed and fixed so that it is equitable in the future. But what my residents and what I continue to hear from them is this sense of urgency. They continue to be given, here, here's internet. We'll do voting rights later. Here, just take the internet for now. Or, hey, we'll fix the pothole, but hey, sorry, but you know what? Marathon and Stellanus is going to continue getting air, you know, violations. Sorry about that. I know you're going to get all this public health impact. You know, probably we're going to have to pay the cost of that uh, because you're underinsured or you don't have insurance at all. But, hey, you get that pothole fixed. Hmm. Continue to, to, to message that as some sort of progress for my residents. They've already they've taken too much. They've they passed all of the poverty, breathed in dirty air to vote for President Biden. I saw it. They, they came through communities that have been neglected when it came to stability of housing, to uh, parks that haven't been invested in, things that would really better not only the quality of life, but air and, and joy, bringing joy back to people's lives. And so I just really think that it is important to push back on this, what we did this, this, this is great. And, and I'm not saying, you know, folks think it's great, that's fine. But in districts like myself, mine, where overwhelmingly, if you get them to come out to vote, and I saw it when President Biden uh, ran, you know, the increase of 3% here and so when you can get them to believe in the possibility of better, they will come out and support you. They will come out and believe in you because they want to be hopeful. Because for them, it's not – President Biden is not the destination. It's the door. Hmm. It's the door to the possibility of better. And if the door looks like it's getting closed and creeped up or maybe the door is only open for some, then you're going to lose people and being inspired to come out in 2022. You know, the emphasis to constantly focus on those. And let me tell you, there's a class of those folks that I continue to hear them trying to message for. Those folks are not going to be with us. 
These are the folks that, you know, continue to gaslight people on the pandemic, mm. continue to, you know, show up in areas that, you know, demonize the school boards and so much more. That's not who we need to be talking to. We need to be talking to those that truly still believe in our democracy, that want to see the Voting Rights Act pass and that be protected and cherished in our country. They want to see better air quality. And, you know, again, all of these folks came because he, he said, we're going to do something about child care. We're going to do something about the fact that so many women have left the workplace. We're going to do something about, you know, the issue of climate uh, in a way that is meaningful. And so we, we have to remember uh, these are overwhelmingly popular around the country, Democrats, Republicans, everyone. This is the kind of thing, if it's not prescription drugs, y'all, it is the issue around um, – you know, uh, expanding like child tax credits, paid leave. Again, these are overwhelmingly popular American policies, uh, not a certain party uh, policy. It, it really, truly is something I'm taken aback by how many folks in my like Western Wayne community come up to me that are Republicans telling me, please do something about prescription drugs. Hmm. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Good hey. morning, Congresswoman. Uh, I wonder if she could detail some of the things in the Triple B bill that uh, concern affordable housing. Great question, Gene. Uh, can you talk just a little about affordable housing and, and what kind of boost it might get from this bill? Yeah. You know, and I want folks to know, you know, Chairwoman uh, Maxine Waters from day one uh, when they, housing wasn't in the, it wasn't even discussed as a so-called infrastructure. She said, nope, housing is infrastructure, you know, and, and she was able to get, uh, you know, leadership to agree on that. And then so at the final, what passed the, uh, the House of Representatives side of Build Back Better is about $151 billion towards affordable housing. That includes about $65 billion to repair the nation's public housing, um, preserving and improving about 500,000 public housing units specifically, and then making public housing, um, you know, safer and healthier for billion, millions of residents. And there is also my Restoring Local Communities Act bill that is about, it was $7 billion, now they're down to about $3 billion that would go towards um, home repair dollars. So one of the key things I hear from many of my residents is, you know, these beautiful older homes are now uh, really uh, unaffordable to maintain. And some of my seasoned residents have become disabled or need accessibility through the bathroom or even their, their front of their house or the back of the house. And so there is now money to help people stay in their homes. You know, we've invested so much in the last decade, y'all, in tearing down demolition uh, homes. Here you see an emphasis on building up and creating more accessibility to homes. And so that's why I'm really excited. This is the largest investment we've seen on housing in a very long time. Okay, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, it's always great to have you here to talk about these things. Uh, quickly, do you really believe that we won't get a Build Back Better bill through the Senate at this point? Well, I, you know, I'm gonna continue being hopeful and folks that work with me closely know I'm hopeful. I, I'm just cautious yeah. because I, I can't go home and uh, tell my residents it's going to happen when all I've seen is an attempt to kill this bill altogether. Uh, and so I, I want, you know, residents and others to know there are so many of my colleagues in all spectrums, even those that take corporate PAC money, that know that this is one of the most critical things that we can do for our country is to address some of these broken systems and the way we do it through is build back better. I mean, I, I can't emphasize to you all, it's not just like 100 or 200 or 300. It's like millions of children will be positively impacted by extending the Biden child tax credit. I mean, 35 million families impacted by it. You know, we're creating a huge civilian climate core, $20 billion in that, that really takes our young people to help address, we're going to pay them <laughs> to uh, address the threat of climate change uh, and really um, get ready, uh, I think, for, you know, really continued hard, um, you know, seasons coming. Uh, you know, I don't care if it's the folks on the west side and the fires, but even here with the continued high um, number of uh, incidents of flooding and so much more. But, you know, we, we're going to get there together 
And I'm a true believer, Stephen, uh, something Grace Lee Boggs used to say to all of us young people in Detroit, that, you know, change doesn't happen with who's in Congress or who's in the White House. It always happened when the consciousness on the ground is risen. Like, so if we, the streets, the community, the grassroots groups on the ground, the residents, if they continue to demand it, it will happen. So that's what gives me faith is that we, we will make it happen. That's how the Civil Rights Act happened. That's how we were able to organize uh, unions uh, in the workplace. It wasn't because of, again, who was elected. It was because the communities across the country um, demanded it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, great to have you here. Thanks so much and have a great holiday. You too. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to switch topics a little bit here. We're going to talk about COVID case numbers and hospitalizations that are skyrocketing just as people are getting ready to travel and gather for the Thanksgiving holiday. We're going to hear from a University of Michigan public health expert about what we should know this week to protect ourselves and our families. And we want to hear from you. What are your plans for Thanksgiving and what are you doing to make sure that everyone stays safe? 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDEP. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Millions of Americans will soon be traveling and gathering with loved ones for Thanksgiving, and so many of us feel a bit better this year about doing that compared to the way we felt last year when we all still really had to stay apart. A lot of us are now fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Some of us have had booster shots that give us pretty strong protection from the coronavirus. But even as that's true, the numbers still reflect a pretty dire situation here in Michigan when it comes to the pandemic. Cases are skyrocketing. Hospitals are once again overcrowded with sick and dying patients. And schools are being forced to go virtual again due to new outbreaks among students and staff. And although those of us who are vaccinated are much better protected than those who refuse to get shots, we still all face some risk. So what should we all be doing and keeping in mind this Thanksgiving to keep ourselves and our loved ones and our communities safe. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. Two days before Thanksgiving, we want to talk about the plans that all of us have for the holiday. Are you getting together with family that you haven't seen in a long time? In some cases, maybe in more than a year. How are you planning to do that? Does it look the way it did before the pandemic? Or are you taking all kinds of precautions because we're still trying to get the better of COVID-19? Call and tell us what your plans look like, how you're thinking this all through, and what you're expecting on Thursday in just two days. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you in the program that way. We also want to hear from you if you're not getting together with family this Thanksgiving. If you are still in the mode of thinking that it's just not quite safe enough to gather in the size of groups that we, that we were before, if you're uh, staying away from a family gathering because of COVID-19, call and tell us why. Call and tell us what you're doing instead. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. And here to shed some light on all of these questions is someone we have turned to a number of times on this show for expert insights into the pandemic and the way we manage it. Dr. Emily Martin is an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Dr. Martin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's start here. What are you doing 
on Thursday. <laughs> You're the yeah. expert, but you also uh, are just a regular person as well who has family and uh, probably misses Thanksgiving gatherings. What is what do your plans look like? Yeah, well, I mean, just like everybody else, we have to we have to struggle with the same questions and the same balance between risk and risk and benefit, like like in the need, you know, the need and the desire to gather like other people do. So we are going to get together with family, but a smaller group of family than we normally would. Um, you know, everybody in our family is vaccinated. I, I'm lucky enough to have a daughter that's in an age range where she got vaccinated a while ago. And so I don't have to take some of the considerations that parents of really young kids have to struggle with right now. And so we're lucky there. So yeah, we're going to struggle, or we're going to struggle um, through the questions, but we're going to gather with a small group of family members um, Thanksgiving, but then there are some things that we've decided not to do. So I'm not going to do Black Friday shopping. Um, and I'm not going to do, you know, I've, I've just decided to skip the game this weekend, which, um, that was hard for me. That was really hard for me, but I've decided to stay home for that. So we're, we're, we're kind of skipping the big gathering events, um, big crowds, but, um, gathering with loved ones. Wow. Wow. So, so give us a clear picture of where you think we are then with the pandemic right now and why we seem to be in such a bad spot and, Start to talk just a little about how people should be thinking about the things that they might have planned for this weekend. Right. So, I mean, across the state, we are seeing some of the worst numbers that we've seen. Um, and we're seeing hospitals all over the state re um, report that they're having really serious numbers. Um, and it's it's hampering hospitals' ability to care for all of the other bumps and bruises and scrapes and elective procedures and all the other things that we depend on hospitals to take care of us for during the holiday season. And so that's worrisome. Um, and, and so, you know, how do we think about that when we're thinking about Thanksgiving this year? You know, I think that, I mean, obviously we've been really harping on the importance of vaccination, but the other things that we layer on vaccination still work as well. And so anytime we can add any of these other tools. And so those are things like, you know, if you are going to go outside of your kind of immediate group, you should be masking and you should be masking in, in larger groups. Um, and the state has recently issued a public health advisory around masking and really kind of emphasizing when you're in when you're in crowds, when you're in bigger groups, you really should be looking at masks. The other thing that I see a lot of people doing is adding testing into their routine. And, you know, I think one thing that people don't realize that there are tests, you know, testing centers in all of our areas kind of available drive-throughs and through your doctor, but there are um, self-tests that you can take at home that are available at a lot of pharmacies around the state too. And so I know a lot of people that are working those into the routine and taking one or two of those this week to make sure that they're not carrying anything um, when they're gathering with loved ones that might be more vulnerable. Hmm. So how many people in the hospital and among those who are still dying are fully vaccinated and how many are unvaccinated? I think this is a really critical question that's on a lot of people's minds is what is the risk? What's the risk difference between people who have decided to get vaccinated and people who haven't? Yeah. You know, so overwhelmingly the people that are being hospitalized and almost exclusively the people that are dying from COVID-19 right now are unvaccinated. And um, among people that are vaccinated, we tend to see the hospitalizations tend to be in people that have complicating conditions and might be vulnerable for other reasons and so might have um, immunosuppression for a variety of reasons. Around, you know, so the severe illness we're really seeing among the unvaccinated. And then what we've seen in many studies and, and our research here reflects this as well, that people that are vaccinated, if you do happen to get infected, which is less likely than in the unvaccinated, but if a vaccinated person does get infected, they do much better. So the severity is much, much less, even with complicating conditions and immunosuppression, the severity among vaccinated people that would get infected is much less than what you would see in somebody who is unvaccinated. And so although we are seeing, you know, what that tells us, we're seeing a lot of pressure on the hospitals. We're seeing case rates very high. We also know that that would be much worse um, if we didn't have the levels of vaccination that we do in the state right mm. now. 
Yeah. So uh, talk about your kind of important piece of advice for people who are traveling and or gathering with family and friends this Thanksgiving. I have a, a lot of folks in my social circle who are much more, I guess, cautious about the traveling part of all of this, that, you know, going through crowded airports, sitting on airplanes, that they're more worried that folks who are doing that are going to put more people at risk uh, at their at their destination. But I but I wonder if you would put that at the top of the list of concerns or or maybe something else. Well, really, you know, it is um, these social social contacts when people are not wearing their mask, when they're in kind of indoor settings for long times with each other, we do see, that's where we see a lot of spread happening. But again, those are the experiences that we want to try to preserve for families and for loved ones. And so I like to think about this um, as, as almost like a risk budget. And when you're traveling, there's a lot of tools that we're much more comfortable using when you're traveling, right? You can, you can, um, you know, be near people when you have to during the traveling process, but then choose to create more space around you. You know, when you're waiting in the airport or when you're getting getting food, you can get, you know, pick up or curbside instead of sitting in a restaurant during the travel process. You can also use high quality masks throughout the whole travel process. We haven't seen, you know, interestingly, I've seen a lot of like CDC investigations and reports trying to look for how often things spread on planes. And because we've got universal masking on planes and pretty excellent ventilation happening, we've actually not seen a lot of clusters attached to air travel, although it's it's kind of a tricky question to get to the bottom of. Um, so there's a lot, you do have a lot of protective layers that are available to you when you're traveling, mainly the the masking and the testing before you leave and the testing when, you, when you're when you finished traveling. Um, and that, by taking all of those precautions, what it does is it sort of saves your, saves your risk budget, if you will, kind of saves, um, kind of protects that experience that you're traveling for and, and the people that you're traveling to be around. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what questions you have perhaps about traveling or gathering safely for Thanksgiving and the holiday season as the pandemic surges. Uh, what are your plans and how are you planning to protect yourself and the people around you? I, I also give us a call if you're unsure of how best to handle your family plans and obligations over the next few days. Uh, and how hopeful are you that we'll someday be able to gather again without worrying so much? Uh, about all of these things. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Also, again, give us a call and let us know if you are just not going to be able to partake in Thanksgiving celebrations, if you feel like it's just too soon and just too risky. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Dr. Emily Martin, and we will get to your calls and your social media comments. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guest right now is Dr. Emily Martin. She is an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. We're talking about Thanksgiving now, just two days away, and it will look a little different for most of us, I think, than it did last year. Uh, the question is, how do we keep ourselves safe, even though it does seem easier and safer to be together with family and friends. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't risks. Uh, the numbers 
are still really going up here in Michigan of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations and other indicators that we haven't quite licked COVID-19. How do we make sure that uh, the things that we plan to do over the next couple of days don't make that worse? Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you're doing in two days for Thanksgiving Day. Are you going to the Thanksgiving Day Parade here uh, in Detroit, which will take place just as normal Uh, Last year, it had to be moved off Woodward Avenue, and there couldn't be any spectators. It was one of the more bizarre, I think, dimensions of the COVID Thanksgiving last year. That'll be normal this year. Are you ready to go and gather with uh, somewhere near a million other uh, Metro Detroiters to watch that? Uh, Are you going to go to see the Lions play on Thanksgiving Day? Uh, in the middle of the day, a diehard tradition here uh, for us in Detroit. Uh, Are you comfortable yet with that kind of thing? And then tell us what you're doing with your family. Are you gathering for dinner in the same way you did before the pandemic? Or does that look really different than it did before? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll include you that way. Uh, Dr. Martin, a a caller uh, in Detroit named Trey, he could not stay on the line, but he wanted to mention that people can also get home testing kits online. They're widely available uh, and very convenient. I, I, I do think that one of the things that makes this holiday and this time a little different than not just last year at this time, but but even uh, in the spring, is the ways uh, the, the the way in which the testing is much more available and much easier, and maybe even a little more accurate than than what we had before. Absolutely, especially these home kits. I think that the the idea of self doing self tests at home got a bad rap early on. I think some of the earliest kits to come on the market were not performing kind of up to standards, but these ones that are out now are excellent. You know, there's a lot of situations where it's appropriate to use these. And, and um, you know, they really work by getting a sense of, you know, if you're positive on a home kit, you probably have a pretty sizable amount of virus. And so um, those are a great, you know, I, my family is using them throughout the week. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people use these successfully. So I think that that's a great option. Then we still are lucky to have a ton of resources uh, for drive-through testing around the area also. And so we aren't nearly in the same situation that we were in a year ago when there was still huge supply chain issues around testing. Mm. Uh, I also wonder what you make of the pills that uh, I'm not sure if they're now available or coming, uh, the Pfizer pill, and the way in which that might change the dynamics around COVID and vaccinations and, and, and public safety. Yeah, so the the pills aren't available yet. They should be available. I, you know, I'm hearing rumors they could even be available as early as middle of December. If those become those treatments become available, you know, one of the things that makes me very optimistic about our situation when we have treatments available is obviously it, it's going to relieve pressure on our hospitals. Um, it's going to make people recover faster. But you know, one of the things when somebody gets infected. Um, it is so easy for them to infect those loved ones immediately around them, um, family members, both vaccinated and unvaccinated. If you've got that really close contact with someone, it's it's really hard not to get infected. And um, and so the what these pills will do it is it's going to reduce that that level of spread, and it's going to protect people's families once somebody's infected. And so that I think is going to um, hopefully have a huge impact on slowing this down. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll include you in the program that way. Let's go to Stephanie in St. Clair Shore. Stephanie, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning, everybody. Hi. Um, I just wanted to uh, chime in on this. I've got a young son at home, um, at school today, but at home. And so for the holidays this year, it's going to look just like last year. We're going to stay home. We're going to sharpen our cooking skills, make our own Thanksgiving dinner, and enjoy enjoy time at home. I have a newly adopted puppy as well, so we've kind of just 
hunkered wow. down, and um, <laughs> I'd rather take the safer road and protect my older family members who are, some are vaccinated and some are not. Um, so for everybody's safety, we feel just absolutely the best and smartest decision to stay home. Hmm. Uh, Stephanie, I'm glad you called and and shared that because we haven't talked much about young children, children under five, who still cannot get vaccinated. And of course, many of us have children that age in our families. Uh, They would be at Thanksgiving dinner if we were there. Do they add, I guess, uh, exponentially more risk uh, to the equation uh, than, than everybody else who can be vaccinated. What do you what do you say about that, Dr. Martin? Yeah, I think, you know, I know a lot of families with young children that are making similar decisions, keeping, you know, doing something that's a little bit more similar to last year because they've got kids at home. And um, you know, because they don't want their kids to get infected or they don't want their kids to infect other people, you know, more vulnerable people in their lives. Um, you know, and beyond just the the risk of of, of, you know, the health effects of getting infected. I know a big consideration for parents of young kids is access to childcare, access to school. If you've got infections in your household with young kids, it means that you're losing that access to childcare in school and you might be losing the ability to work coming that week after Thanksgiving. And so um, that's, that's a big kind of almost like think about it like a side effect of infection that we don't often talk about is the, just the pressure on working parents and the ability to stay at work when infections are in the family, in the household. And so for those reasons, um, I do know a lot of families are, especially families of, of young children are choosing to keep their kids home for Thanksgiving and, and just do something together. Uh, I also wonder what you make of the school situation. That's not uh, particularly related to to Thanksgiving, but you do have a lot of districts that this week are struggling to stay open uh, because of these surges. Uh, Is there there a, a, a point that you see in the near future, perhaps, where some of this subsides and things like school disruptions, which of course, were the hallmark of, of much of the pandemic uh, will we'll, we'll go away. I mean, Thanksgiving is something that happens once a year. You know, we send our kids to school for, uh, you know, almost nine months of the year, and, and we're still not able to do that consistently. Yes, there's been tons of disruption in K through 12 and tons of cases in that age group. Uh, you know, when I think about the future of K through 12 and what we're looking at now, I do look to what we the experiences that we've had on college campuses around the countries. If you think about how much disruption we saw on college campuses last year, and then we rolled out vaccine and many campuses are in the, you know, 80s, high 90s around the country in vaccination of students. And we've really seen that disruption go away. So we see them able to stay in session, classes continue. And this is my hope for K through 12 is that now we can vaccinate our school-aged kids. Once we start rolling that out and getting that up to high rates, we have the potential to create very similar bubbles where the kids are protecting each other, they're protected themselves with vaccination, and we have the ability to to return to a normal school year that way. I also wonder whether the Thanksgiving holiday, for some of us, might be an opportunity to talk to family members who still will not get the vaccination. I know a number of people, uh, just like Stephanie, in fact, who have a mix of folks in their in their families. Some people who've been vaccinated, some who have not, some who've gotten boosters, some who have chosen not to. Uh, what do you think about the chance to say to your loved ones, here's a great example of why you ought to be taking the shot. Here's a great example of how we all get past this so that uh, we can all really be together more consistently. Yeah, it is it is a great it's a great opportunity to have these conversations. And I think, you know, what's important about these conversations is that we let our families members know we love them. We're asking questions because we love them. And it's also important to listen, ask questions and and see where the hesitation is coming from. You know, one of the things that in public health we really push for is that, you know, most people have a trusted doctor in their in their life and that they can bring their questions to. And for some people, that's going to be the best person to get information from. And and a lot of people, um, 
will go to their doctor's advice for all sorts of things. You know, should I take, um, should I take this antacid? Should I take this, this medication? And um, so really um, encouraging our family members to ask, ask their doctor these questions and start to get answers from reliable sources uh, because we care about them, because we want them to, to really make fully informed decisions about the vaccine, not just getting information from all sorts of sources. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Emily Martin, it is always really great to have you here lending your vast knowledge of COVID-19 and this pandemic to our conversation with our listeners. Thanks so much for being here and have a really great holiday. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when writer Eric Dean Wilson is going to join the program to talk about his new book, After Cooling, on Freon Global Warming and the Terrible Cost of Comfort. Also, author and journalist Mitch Album is going to join me to talk about his new best-selling novel, The Stranger in the Lifeboat. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, and our associate producers are Nora Ryan and Sam Corey. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Two days to Thanksgiving. Come back tomorrow, and we'll talk again.